Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. I followed Emily Mooring, or Emily the Pig Trimmer, for a few years and have always loved her videos and progress photos of her work on pigs. As someone who doesn't trim pigs, I love hearing her comparison of pig hooves to equine hooves and seeing how just like with horses, trimming pig feet takes care and consideration to their internal anatomy, movement, environment, and even diet. Emily started a trim method for pigs called the Moore Method, taking these aspects and more into consideration, and she agreed to join me on the podcast to talk about it. Why don't you tell us how you got started in hoof care and how that kind of evolved into having such a focus on pigs? So I've been a farrier since 2002 and uh, started with horses, you know, horses, donkeys, mules, things like that in the equine world. And then about 10 years ago, transitioned into doing pigs full time. Um, that was a funny shift. Somebody requested one day uh, at an event, an outreach event and said, I hear you trim feet. And I said, yes. And they said, will you come trim my pig? And I said, I'm not very good at that. And I don't really know what I'm doing. And they said, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Come help. <laughs> and, and so I said, sure, I'll give it my best shot. So I did uh, a few hours of research before that appointment and kind of looked into it the best that I could. And uh, when I got there, they were trying to do some very screwy things that just didn't fit with me ethically or mechanically for doing the hoof trim either. So uh, I asked them if I could do it a different way and they said, sure. And I was trimming the pig's feet and I got it all done and they were super impressed and I was glad it was done. And they asked if they could share my information with other pig owners and I said, sure. And what I did not know at the time, because it's important to ask questions is that they were the president of the California Potbelly Pig Association. Oh, wow. And I was unawares of that. So uh, I ended up switching to pigs full-time about 10 years ago, right after that experience. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I did have the initial thought sitting in my car one day. I remember sitting at a stoplight and going, yeah, sure, I could take on some pigs. I have some time in my schedule. Because at the time I had a a full-time running trimming business doing barefoot hoof care. And so I thought, oh yeah, I could squeeze them. And how many pigs could there really be? And um, (laughs) there's a lot. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. There is a lot, a lot. And uh, and so that's a really kind of funny turn of events, but I'm incredibly grateful. I'm very grateful. I love working on pigs and I do still have horse customers. They're definitely widowed down, you know, to a smaller group, but um, I'm incredibly grateful for it and love trimming pigs. That's so cool. Awesome. Yeah. And obviously, you know, most of the listeners are familiar with horses and hoof care. And I focus solely on equines. I don't trim any pigs. So I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, your method into pig trimming, how you developed it, and maybe some of the differences between the equine hoof anatomy and the, you know, pig anatomy, because you know, I'm sure that they're not exactly the same, but there must be some similarities. They're far more similar than you would think. 
basically there is the same P3 coffin bone in the bottom of the foot. They have a deep digital flexor tendon. Um, They have a lot of the same anatomy. It's just on two toes. One of the things that a lot of people comment on when they see my before and after pictures of big drastic trims is how can you take off so much at once? And the answer is that it's far closer to a horse hoof than it is a dog toenail. So there's no like quick quote unquote, that's going to grow out in the nail and be distorted with it. There's still corium and lamina, just like in a horse foot. So that corium and lamina can get distorted sometimes, but it's usually like medial lateral, like from hooks, but it's not super often. So that anatomy stays right where it is. So we know we can form the hoof to that. So it's, it's far more similar than you think. And it's also affected by the same things like founder and laminitis. It still has, you know, effects like that. We still deal with like Cushing style stuff. We still deal with like obesity and problems with hoof care that way. And also from lack of movement. So a lot of the stuff is applicable kind of lateral transfer right over from, from horse knowledge. Oh, interesting. Which actually prompts another question. And do you ever see pigs become sore from over trimming or is that really not a concern? So yes, we do see pigs sore from over trimming. It's usually very traumatic and it is an idiot with a set of pruning shears. And please don't think I'm kidding when I say that listeners at home, literally hoof care providers for pigs show up with pruning shears like tree loppers in their tool bag and they cut them back into the corium and into the lamina and into the bone in some cases. And yes, in that case of over trimming, we are definitely going to see a sore pig. The other thing that happens more commonly than that is pigs that live on cement, a lot of cement. Um, I trim a pig that lives just off the campus of Harvard, and his parents are, are going to Harvard. And the pig gets a lot of exercise every day, even though they live in a high-rise apartment building because they go for walks. The problem is that everywhere that that pig walks is literally a hard surface or cement until they can get outside to a grass patch. That pig is literally walking through the bottom soles of his feet because of the cement and the wear and the walking. So sometimes they get over trimming just by virtue of exercise. So in those cases, we use hoof armor. Um, I had them order that and get that for, for his feet. And, you know, actually now they're taking yoga mats on their walks. So they're leapfrogging yoga mats so that his feet don't wear through. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of cycle length of over trimming, no, we, we maintain a cycle at a healthy level so that they're not, you know, they're not getting trimmed too often. Yeah, that makes sense. My first thought is a lot of the foot soreness I see in horses is if we're like, oh, I'm going to just shape this foot exactly where I want it. And then you just take too much. So that irritates the bejesus out of me on so many levels. And one of the things that I teach, I have a a unit in my apprenticeship program that, that we teach is called trimming to function over trimming to form. I don't care what a textbook says a foot should look like. I don't care. It is an illustration or it is a photo of one animal in time. And confirmation is not the same in real life as it is in that book. And just because you can make a foot look proper doesn't mean that that's what's proper for the animal. And it's always more important to trim to function, trim it to where that animal can move comfortably and make forward progress, right? Like, I don't care how ugly it looks if it's workable for the animal. And sometimes in pigs, we see some really wonky looking feet because their confirmation is 
in the toilet. Um, mini pigs, and put that into air quotes just for anybody listening at home, a mini pig is anything under 300 pounds at five years old. Um, so saying a Juliana means that they have gray and white and spots on them. Um, there's a lot of breeds of, of little pigs out there. Um, but really what it is is just a generalization of anything under 300 pounds at five years old. Those pigs have been bred for hundreds of generations to be a pet, and that animal serves no purpose in the real world. Now, why does that matter? It matters because in the horse world, we need to have proper confirmation in order for that horse to be ridden, to pull a carriage, to plow a field, right? If we see terrible confirmation, we start seeing it in minis, right? Because they start losing their productivity for real jobs. And so when these pet pigs have been bred and bred and bred and done a lot of inbreeding to get them smaller and smaller, their confirmation has just gone to the garbage. And so we see pigs with really wonky legs and really goofy hips and hyperextended knees and all sorts of confirmation issues. And then the feet are a byproduct of that confirmation. So it's super important for people trimming pigs to really understand biomechanics and to really understand anatomy and physiology and what you're working with. Because when you influence something, it could look textbook very wrong, but it's exactly what the pig needs to be comfortable and maintain quality of life. So yeah, for me, trimming to function is always more important than trimming to form. Uh, As long as it works for the animal, I don't really care what the end result looks like to, you know, anybody else's judgment. Yeah. And that's how I feel about horses too, because I think that a lot of times what the horse needs for comfort might look wonky, but I'd rather have a sound horse than one that has nice looking feet and can't move. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing that's a little different between the two is that horses, if something goes wrong with that foot, they only have one foot to stand on. Pigs have two toes and there's a pad on the back of those toes. So there's like a, a, a claw out front and then there's a, a pad in the back and they can shift their weight to the inside or outside to either the medial or the lateral toe. So if one of them is really bugging them, they can shift a little. So we can get away with some more aggressive changes because they have, you know, more area to distribute their weight, right? Like they can favor a little easier one way or another. Whereas that horse, if you do it to both front feet, now you've taken out half of its supports, you know, to be comfortable. Right. And so how did you end up learning all this about trimming pigs? Did you kind of have to learn it through experience or did someone teach you? So I, a little bit of both. Um, some of the influencing things in the beginning were with the lovely people that that ha- asked for that, you know, first appointment. Um, they had been longtime pig owners. And when I talked to them about kind of how they did it, like what their experiences were in the past and and how they managed the trim, it really seems like, a couple of things happened that day. One, the primary focus was just to lob off the toe. Like that was really the point of the trim was hack off a toe. The other point of, of most pig trimming is tusk trimming. Um, and that's for male pigs. Female pigs do have them, but they stay pretty small. So the male pigs need their tusks trimmed. And I had done some research ahead of going into this first appointment. Like at this point, I was 10 years into my business, you know, like I was not, you know, still wet behind the ears in what I was doing. And so it was important for me to do some research on what kind of industry standard was, like what's currently happening in the world with this. I'll tell you that that person was considerably more comfortable with drawing blood than I ever would be. And I was like, whoa, 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 stop, stop. 
like that's blood stop you know and she goes well it's important to go as far back as possible and i was like you're there that's right (laughs) they're bleeding you know and so that was kind of the first hint where i was like whoa what is what is the standard of care here it was really shocking to find out that it was common for snout snares so they have like a you know the catch poles used to catch dogs that are aggressive with animal control. Yeah. It's it's that same idea, but they put the loop around their top snout, like around around the top part of their mouth, and pull on it really hard. And it's unbelievably painful. It is not like twitching a horse. It is not the same thing. A lot of people draw a similar comparison. It is not twitching a horse is just soft tissue. This is actually going around the bone, the sinus cavity, their teeth. It's, it's a a much, much larger, you know, thing. And it's pretty traumatic. The position that they used to do it in, it was common to sit pigs flat on their butt and have their feet sticking straight out, but they were breaking their tails and they were herniating discs in their back and they were ripping off dew claws and owners were getting gored in the arms and bit in the arms while they were trying to hold them. It's a, it's a terrible position. And, and really my knowledge of hoof care saying, no, you absolutely have to balance the bottom of the hoof. Like that's the walking surface of the hoof, you know, right. uh, and saying, no, we're not going to hold this animal in a compromising position. That's going to stress it out and be painful. And, and no, I think your tools are garbage. Like, why are you using pruning shears on an animal? And it's unfortunately because the farrier world, the equine farrier world doesn't want to work with pigs because they can be challenging and loud and and feisty and they're incredibly intelligent um, and there can be kind of tough to work with. So as a whole, the pig industry just got left by the wayside. Dog and cat groomers aren't equipped to work on a hoof, not a nail. And vets are doing the best they can, but they're not taught farrier skills in vet school. They're taught to refer to a farrier but there were no farriers for pigs. So a lot of really weird things were happening to pigs that would never happen in like the donkey trimming world or the horse trimming world or even dairy cows, right? Like, you know, they have their own industry set up of how to be taken care of. And so I thought, holy cow, that's like really alarming to me that these people that love their pets would put them into such compromising positions. Um, I have a background in sports and wrestling and and dabbled in jujitsu and so if i can flip a person i can flip a pig safely so i just decided that i thought everybody else's way in the industry standard was kind of dumb and very misguided and it did not have the animal's best interest at heart at all and so i just started kind of doing it my own way and uh, after i did some dissections i had a really nice local butcher that helped me out. And then I also found a uh, hog hunter in California that was able to get me some feet from an animal he had harvested. Uh, So I was able to do some dissections and, you know, confirm everything I was thinking. A lot of the research 10 years ago was based on market hogs and many pigs and market hogs are not the same animal. Anatomically, the, the bones and stuff are the same, like they're named the same thing, but the structures are different. They're much broader. They're much bigger in the market hogs. Feral hogs grow up with an entirely different lifestyle that molds a, a different foot than a mini pig. And so I really wanted to make sure I had the best information possible. And then I applied proper hoof care tools to that. So you know, knowing why are you using pruning shoes when you could have a really nice set of nippers? They didn't know that because none of them were farriers. 
um, and they didn't know that nippers were a thing because they're not horse people, they're pig people. So applying proper tools and proper animal husbandry to make it a better experience and, and doing some dissections. And then a lot of it was just numbers and volume. I have trimmed a lot of pigs. So that's how the Moore Method got innovated about 10 years ago. Yeah. And something that I love about watching your videos is how calm the pigs look and how it doesn't seem like a stressful experience at all. Whereas I've only trimmed pigs twice. And it was before I even, I mean, I didn't know who you were. This was years ago. And I decided, okay, this is not for me because they were It screaming. was terrible, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, that's what got, gets me excited about what you're doing is that it seems like it's, uh, you know, happy experience. Nobody's, nobody's stressing out over the whole thing. Um, so yeah. do, do you want to talk a little bit about how you get the pigs to be comfortable with it and how you For are sure, able but to, I'm, cu- I'm yeah. curious how you got that pig trimmed. What position did you have it in when you trimmed it? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> the first time and no judgment, I know. no judgment. So it's, it's, a, <laughs> it was actually my best friend's pig and it was two different occasions. So the first time she was kind of holding him on her lap, I was a Vietnamese pot belly and he was just screaming, screaming, screaming. And I was like so shaken by his screaming that I didn't even know what I was doing with the feet. (laughs) And then the second time we were like, okay, the screaming was not good. So that's not going to work. Um, she was trying to give him treats and leave him standing while I tried to like pick his foot up, almost like you're pulling a horse, like hoof forward right. on a stand and trim it in front of him. But then he just kept trying to bite my hand because he could, yeah. see, you know, he could see what I was doing. And he's just like, <laughs> I'm getting treats from the, you know, my owner. Why wouldn't I just, you know? So it was just <laughs> not, I was like, this is not going to work. I find somebody else. Like I can't do this. <laughs> That's so funny. So one of the things it's really important to note before we have the conversation about how I keep them comfortable is I work on lots of different animals. Okay. Um, I only have two animals I will refuse an appointment for under any circumstances. I will not work on a zebra and I really don't like ostriches and emus. I don't want to take on a T-Rex that is six foot tall and trying to peck my eyes out. I'm not into it. And zebras belong in Africa on the Serengeti. They don't belong anywhere else. I got kicked so bad by a zebra once. That was my moment of never again. But I trim lots of different animals. So I trim iguanas for people. I trim sulcata tortoises. I've trimmed a buffalo before. I work on horses, donkeys, mules, goats, sheep, llamas, alpacas. I've trimmed a camel. I've trimmed a yak. I've trimmed a water buffalo. I've trimmed lots of different things and lots of different animals, right? Like uh, birds and things like that. It's, It's lots of fun for me to work on all sorts of different species. But the way I approach those appointments is one of two ways. It's either a consent based trim or a non consent based trim. Horses require consent based trims. You are not going to force a horse to do anything right? If it wants to kick you, it's going to kick you. It will bite you. It will smash you into a wall. It will lay down on the ground. They are bigger than us. They are stronger than us and we will not win, right? Right. That requires a level of, I would like to work with you. Would you like to work with me? And those appointments go much slower. They work on trust building and, and you work on, you know, developing that relationship so that it goes smoother in the future, right? And then there are non-consent-based trims. This is where pigs fall into the category. I do not need that pig's permission to flip it and trim it. Don't need it. That pig can fight me with all it wants. 
and I'm still probably going to get the job done. Now, because of that, we want to make the experience as short as possible. My average trim length for a pig that's getting a maintenance trim that's on my schedule on a regular basis, I might have them flipped upside down for 10 minutes, maybe. Okay, it's quick. My longest corrective trims for first-time customers are like 45 minutes. That's like a really, really, really long involved trim. So we want to make it as short as possible. And we also want to recognize the fact that pigs are prey animals. They're not predators. So when we flip them on their back, we're putting them in an incredibly vulnerable position. So there's a few things I do to ensure that they are calm and quiet. First of all, not every pig is calm and quiet. <laughs> there, there is definitely a lot of them. I've posted them before in the past, but there is definitely, you know, a solid, I'd say, 20% of pigs that scream the entire time. But usually they give up on that pretty quick because it's really hard work to scream. Like every time a pig screams, they're doing a crunch when they're flipped, right? Because they're upside down. And you can't do prolonged exercise that long without fatiguing yourself out, right? And pigs are generally very lazy animals. So we want them in a confined space when we flip them so that they're not running around getting their adrenaline up. They're not really worried before we start. We just, you know, go in there and bam, flip them real quick. The trimming process is not painful to them at all. No way painful at all. The Dremel, as we sand their feet, it vibrates their foot a little bit. They can feel that vibration. And nine times out of 10, that's when pigs fall asleep. That's when they start really calming and settling down is when the Dremel turns on. They like that vibration in their foot. It feels nice. We always do upsetting things first. So if I know I need to do a tusk trim, pigs don't like having their tusk trimmed. It's not painful at all to them, but the dust from the wire, it tastes really bad. And so they don't like that. They don't like having their mouth messed with. So I'm going to do that first, not last, right? I'm going to keep them calm before I let them up. I want them to end on a happy note. So we're going to do the things that they really don't like first. So if I know that pig really hates having its face touched and the owner wants me to clean its eyes and its ears, I'm going to get that done before I trim its feet. That way we can end on a happy note. The other thing is I really kind of discourage owners from talking to their pigs while I work on them. Uh, volume warning, people. Volume warning. If you have an owner standing in the corner saying, it's okay, Kevin! <laughs> that's that's not calming. That's, that's not calming for Kevin... Kevin Bacon, because that's a common one. Um, it's it's not calming. It's not good. It's not reassuring. And you are not bringing the right vibe to the party. So a lot of times I try to get owners to, I'm happy to have them watch. They're, they're welcome to not, you know, kicking anybody out of the room, but we want to make sure that they're not contributing to a problem. The other thing is pigs are incredibly smart, right? They test out between a three and four year old human intelligence level. They're like having a toddler. And if your child falls down and hurts themselves, you don't go, oh, you walk up to them nicely and go, hey, let me let me take a look at that. And you might look at your your significant other and say, hey, call 911. You know, maybe maybe we should call an ambulance. But you don't start screaming in front of the kid to make the situation worse. You want to present, you know, that calm front. So I am not bothered by a pig screaming. Not bothered by it at all. It doesn't phase me, doesn't phase me in the least. And part of the reason it doesn't phase me is pigs being so intelligent scream about different things. Okay, this is not hippie stuff. This is documented scientific things. They have confirmed over 160 different vocalizations in pigs. And there is a big difference between a pig screaming, 
having a temper tantrum like a child at the grocery store checkout line screaming, I want a candy bar, than there is a pig that had a terrible experience because some vaqueros came up over the border and they roped it like a cow and tied the pig off to four points with a snout snare on the fifth post while four guys sat on him to trim him. That pig is screaming for an entirely different reason. That pig thinks that I'm going to kill him. That pig, I work very, very quickly and try to get it done. But pigs that are screaming because they're having a temper tantrum, that doesn't bother me at all. That doesn't bother me at all. And the other funny things that some pigs do when we flip them is they'll talk the entire time. They're not screaming. They're like, like they're giving a, a narration over their spa day but they don't even move. Like they're not moving their feet. They're not fighting me. They're not trying to get up. They just talk the entire time. Um, and so screaming kind of comes from, from lots of different angles. One of my tips and tricks, somebody's going to steal this from me now, but that's okay. I play music while I work and um, it keeps owners a little bit calmer that are really nervous. It keeps the pigs calmer it also keeps a certain amount of noise in the air. So when I turn my Dremel on and off, it doesn't go from silent to really loud and startle them, right? If you have a pig that's been severely abused, sadly, it totally happens. I have a playlist with no speaking on it. It's just instrumental because to that pig, the sound of a human voice is not comforting. Right. They don't want to hear it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to trigger them into thinking something is going to happen. So there's a lot of kind of things that I do to contribute towards a calm environment. But the other thing is part of the reason I get those pictures is these are repeat customers. They get trimmed every three to four months and they've been seeing me for years and they might not like me as their favorite person, but they know they feel better when they get up and they're totally fine with it. I have pigs that when I go to flip them, they walk right into the corner that they know I'm going to grab them in and they might grumble while they walk there, but they still go walk there and stand at the corner, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they get used to it and they know they're going to be fine. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And honestly, like just knowing what to expect, I think, you know, would allow more people to be interested in in looking into offering pig trimming. I think it's that like, oh, gosh, how do we make the situation better? That's so nerve wracking. Yeah. And, you know, a big part of it, too. Uh, I'm a big proponent of people doing what they're good at. Right. Uh, and that's why we have really great auto mechanics and we have really great seamstresses and we have really great accountants. It's because people are staying in their lane and kind of doing, you know, what they're really, really good at. Pigs are not for everybody. They are not. My apprenticeship program has about a 50% dropout slash fire quit rate of people not making it through. And that even goes for people that have finished the program. Pigs are definitely harder work and it takes a certain kind of person because if you're like that farrier that's prone to elbowing a horse, pigs aren't for you. If you get frustrated that an arthritic horse steps on your foot because it slipped off your stand, you know what I mean? It's they're, they're a different type of animal to work with. And one of the things that I run across in the horse world, everybody knows, you know, you can either go to shoeing school, you can go to a college or something like that, or you can serve an apprenticeship. In the pig world, a lot of people aren't familiar with that setup of how things go. So unfortunately, if you look on the market across the board at pig trimmers in air quotes or, or farriers in air quotes, they've literally only watched YouTube videos. And they're hitting the road saying they're professional. And they don't understand physiology of nutrition and how that plays into hoof care. They don't understand the anatomy that they're working with, and they don't understand how traumatizing what they can do to the pig and to the owners. And so 
I, I can all cite an example. I had a, a pig I trimmed a couple of weeks ago in upstate New York, wonderful family. And they were absolutely terrified. In fact, the wife wasn't even at the appointment because she was so horrified after the first appointment that she couldn't be home in case the second appointment went like that. And their pig bled for four days over what the last hoof trimmer did. And he was hiding, shaking in his bed. He didn't want to come out of the corner. He didn't eat for a couple of days. And in fact, that same pig, when I went to get near him to flip him, tried to bite me and struck the toilet and ended up splitting his lip open on a toilet because he was so terrified from his past experience that he was trying to lash out at me. Now, by the end of his appointment, his lip was a little bit bloodied up from biting the toilet. But the owners were thrilled because he was coming up to me for pets and loves. I was giving him treats afterwards. He knew he was fine. And his total trim time was like 13 minutes, according to the pictures. And so they were thrilled with the experience over what had happened last time. And I, next time I'm there, it'll be four months from now. Next time I'm there, he's not going to try to bite me again. He's going to be like, oh, it's that lady. But a lot of people that I see have such terrible experiences with these people that say they're farriers and say they're trimmers, that they hold off on hoof care for way too long. And then we end up with these emergency corrective trims or these tusks that are grown into their faces, things like that, because they're horrible experience. They're gun shy to do it with anybody else. There's instances of other trimmers taking trip fees and then not showing up, showing up and severely laming their animals. And we're talking about things that end up in people euthanizing their pets, like dislocated hips, torn muscles, tusk infections that are chronic. I know one pig got its snout broken, like oh it broke gosh. its sinus cavity with somebody. I have seen a farrier cut the pads off the bottom of the pig's foot, like with nippers. I've seen horrible things done by universities. And so it's really hard to sort of build that trust level back with clients and with owners to say like, no, we're really legit. We will come. We do know what we're doing. And that's why I started the apprenticeship program because I didn't have anybody else I could refer to. And I can't trim in all 50 states myself. Um, I did trim in 27 last year. Wow. But it's kind of hard to hit all 50. So I just figured I would do it myself. I would create my own apprenticeship program and train people that I really liked that had quality and integrity and trustworthiness and had the skills and knew the tools to do the job. And that also comes with other things like we st we have apprenticeship meetings twice a month. We have guest speakers come. We talk about new techniques and new tools and new products and things like that or challenging things that we see. And it's all, there's accountability. You know what I mean? It's not just somebody running around doing stuff. So it's, it's nice to be able to build that trust back with people. But unfortunately, a lot of people have really had it ruined by past experience. The biggest thing I can equate it to in the horse world is donkey owners. Donkey owners a lot of times really struggle because farriers have been terrible to their donkeys in the past. And then, you know, they're scared to get hoof care for them. And God love Megan Hensley. I love her. Mm -hmm. She's one of my bestest good friends. I just big heart in the air for Miss Megan. You know, she's really killing it out there doing good for donkeys and getting, you know, more people to trim their own just so, you know, you could avoid that problem because there's such a lack of providers for quality donkey care. I just decided to take the other approach and train enough people so we could have people out running routes and doing it on the right schedule. Right. Yeah. And actually talking about schedule and cycles, I know that you've mentioned this a few times, but how often do you typically see pigs? So the average pig that we see is an indoor-outdoor pig. So it spends some of its time inside, some of its time outside. 
And that matters because pigs that live outdoors full time can usually go on a little bit of a longer schedule because they're walking more, they're getting more exercise, um, they're doing it on an abrasive surface. So usually the average maintenance trim for a pig across America should be three to four months. Three to four months is ideal. That way we're not getting into corrective work. We're keeping the trim time itself down so that they're not down for as long. It lets us really keep up on issues that we are trying to correct. Like if we're trying to fix a hook or something like that, or slowly bring them down to a better angle, we can do that. And also for the healthy pigs that are good to go, this really lets us monitor them over time. A long schedule would be every six months. Every six months are the pigs that live outside. They walk a lot. They live on farms and they're trucking around, you know, they're visiting things and they're foraging for things. The pigs that we see once a year are pigs that can't be flipped. And those are usually coonies. We don't flip coonie coonies over two years old or 200 pounds. And on those pigs, we do standing tusk trims. And those usually happen about once a year. Yeah. So it's definitely obviously longer than a horse's cycle, but you want to see them regularly. So they don't really grow at the same rate either. Like I have experimented with, because I've got some great customers in Central California, and I go to Central California every six weeks for 10 days. And that's where my horse customers are, are in Central California. And I had a couple really great pig people that let me trim their pigs on a six-week rotation, and I did it three times. And I took pictures of six weeks worth of growth. And I compared it to like the horse trims that I do of six weeks worth of growth. And then I compared it to a foundered pony that I do that is is the bane of my existence. I love him so much, but I fight his feet every six weeks. Every six weeks, my hand is on my forehead going, why? His name is Firebug. And, uh, And I love him to bits. But I compared that foundered growth to the six week schedule as well. And pigs do founder just like horses and their rate of growth just doesn't seem to be the same. Horses definitely grow at a, at a higher rate. And I'm sure part of that is weight distribution. And part of that is also use. Nobody's putting their horse up inside their house on carpet. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so, you know, there, that wear and tear is going to generate more growth because it needs to be regenerated. But yeah, it outside factors do have a really, really big bearing in it. And the other thing we notice is nutrition. If you have a poor diet for your pig, if you're feeding them people food and they're getting dog food as snacks or cheesy poofs or God knows what other garbage, and we get them on a proper diet that they should be on, which is 90% leafy greens and veggies, 5% fruit and 5% pellets, you'll see a big boom in their growth because now they're nutritionally you know, ready to do it. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But yeah, I did have a couple of nice people volunteer for the six-week one. Now, I do have a couple pigs I have done six-week trims on in California for corrective issues. One of them was an infection in her face that I did do her feed again because she was foundered. But she got done on a six-week schedule for a little bit to kind of correct those things. But it's definitely not the most common. Yeah. And I think a lot of this information is super helpful for owners, you know, like mentioning the diet, mentioning their care, um, but also for hoof care providers looking to branch into this, you know, more niche trimming world. And so do you have any last minute tips for owners of pigs and also maybe any last minute tips for hoof care providers that are looking into getting into pig trimming? Uh, If you're an owner, I think the biggest thing is just, do you need a pig in the first place? A lot of people 
get them thinking they're going to be these tiny little pocket things that they see on Instagram, not realizing that they are incredibly intelligent. They test boundaries. They have a hierarchy. They're foragers that have a need to be outside and get those steps. Um, They live for 20 years. It's really hard to find a vet for a pig. It's really hard to find, you know, a house sitter if you're going out of town. It's really hard if you move to find city zoning for is are you even legal to own a pig where you live? So I think step number one is really evaluate your lifestyle and if that's going to be good for you or not. I'll tell you in the pig community right now, we are overloaded with pigs that need homes. These breeders are breeding them out the yin-yang and they are way overpopulated. And because of that, every single shelter across America is over capacity with pigs. Every single 501 has taken in more than they should. Every single Facebook page is littered with pigs that need homes because they're moving, because it doesn't get along with their spouse, because it bit their child, because they can't afford the feed, because they couldn't get them spayed or neutered for a variety of reasons. And so There's a really big push to not buy from breeders. If you really do want a pig, if you're really interested in adding that animal to your family, look at a rescue, look at a shelter. If you want a piglet, which I don't personally recommend, you can get that from a lot of shelters. They have pregnant moms. They get surrendered all the time. One of the reasons I don't recommend getting a piglet is if you know you are somebody that really likes to have barbecues in the backyards and 4th of July parties, and you're going to have family over to watch the game on Friday night, go to a shelter and find a pig that's outgoing and social. Go find a pig that's, you know, two or three years old, four years old, that has an established personality that likes to do shenanigans and get into mischief. If you're a very quiet person that wants to sit down and read a book and and sit like in a sunroom with a blanket or something, go to a shelter and find that pig that's kind of timid. Go find that one that wants to be with one person. You can't guarantee their personalities as piglets. So it's a lot better off if you know your lifestyle, go find something that's going to fit that lifestyle. If you were a long distance runner, you're not going to get a basset hound, you know, to be your dog. That's, that's not a great fit. Yeah. So really plan on that. The other thing is, and this is interesting just specifically within the pig community. I really didn't see this in the horse world. Animals cost money. Animals cost money. And they are a privilege to own, not a right. And I can't work for free and neither can any other hoof care professional simply because you think rates are too high. The rates are where they are because that's what they are. You know what I mean? Like the the work is the work. And the travel fees are dictated based on the region that we're going to. And that's why they're different for different areas. But, you know, it's not fair to call a provider and say, I only want to spend $40 on a tusk trim because his tusks are growing into his face. And I say, okay, but you need to pay the trip fee to get on the schedule. No, I only want to pay $40. You're coming anyway. Well, don't guilt trip me because you didn't plan ahead well enough to take care of your animal. That's not our fault. Right. It is not our fault. Just like it's not a farrier's fault when they go to a barn and they say, I've only got money for two, but they own 10 horses and they all look terrible and you want the farrier to pick the worst two. That's, That's not a fair position. You know, that's terrible. We're looking at the herd of horses going, okay, you ate, suffer. And, uh, and we'll pull you two into the barn. Yeah. By that point, you need to start reevaluating your choices on how many animals you have. I think that's a, a big problem across the U.S. In terms of horse people trying to get into trimming pigs, I have my own apprenticeship program. I'm not going to encourage that. I encourage my people. Check out my website, moremethodgroup.com. We're the best.
<laughs> I mean, you're the only group that I know to refer people to. You know, I think it's great. You know, I really wanted accountability. I, I take my name very seriously. I take my business very seriously. I'm on the road all the time. I do this every day. I have no life. Trust me. <laughs> I have no life. And I literally have seen ring doorbell footage of somebody smoking meth in front of a customer's house, another trimmer. I have seen home videos that people have shot from their security cam systems of somebody fighting their pig for 10 minutes before they could get it flipped. I've seen videos of other trimmers or other farriers taking up to 15 minutes to set up before they ever even get started working on the pig while the pig is already flipped, meaning they're just laying there for like 15 minutes while they get their tools set up. This is on video footage. It's not just, you know, me saying something. There's a very big disconnect in reputable people doing this. And in the horse community, these people get weeded out pretty quick by word of mouth because horse people are good at talking to other horse people. I really wanted a reputable way for people to know that somebody coming into your home is safe and reliable and trustworthy and knows what to do and knows how to do it safely and knows how to do it with accountability. Um, they're all accountable to me. I still check their work. We still do before and after pictures. You know, we still talk about things. And I really wanted to make sure that those standards were upheld so that the people using my name, you know, could be relied upon. And one of the reasons we went with the name of the group we did is a lot of trimmers just come and trim feet like that's all they do they're going to show up and they're going to trim the toenails and if you say hey can you trim my dog while they're you're here they're going to say no and you're going to say hey do you know what kind of vaccinations i you know need to give my pigs and they're going to go no i trim feet and that's it we really are more than your average trimmer and that's a play on my last name of mooring but you know we came up with the tagline at the beginning of this year want better demand more and we're here if you have an emergency in the middle of the night you can call your local trimmer if you think your pig is sick and you don't know a vet to find you can call us if you have behavioral issues we're happy to help you if you need help designing a pen outside and how to meet their needs better we can help you do that we're here for a lot more than just trimming their feet we're kind of like your piggy life coach you know, we're, we're here for a lot of those other needs where there's a lack of service. So everybody that works within the Moore Method group knows that the accountability is higher than just the feet. We're, you know, we're here for kind of the whole show. Yeah. And I think that your reputation definitely is fantastic from everything that I've heard. And, you know, obviously what you're doing works really well and you have helped so many pigs around the entire country. I know that you, you do have trimmers. In the world. Oh, I have people that I've trained overseas. Oh, that's so great. I was going to ask how far your services range. Yeah. Like how far you go. I, uh, I had an apprentice that I trimmed in the Netherlands and um, I was super proud of her till she went rogue and decided that after less than six months of professional service, she was qualified to teach an apprentice. And I said, Ooh, no, not under my name. You're not. Um, and unfortunately that was really a result of COVID. I had gone over there in January of 2020, right before the, uh, pandemic hit and I couldn't get back over there with COVID restrictions, but I booted her right out of the program because after six months of professional service, you are in no way qualified to train anybody to do anything. In fact, she wasn't even finished herself. But this year, I'm also working with a Canadian apprentice that I'm super excited about. I currently have requests pending for service in 16 different countries. So we're just waiting for some of the protocols to lift and for my apprentice this year to get trained so that it'll lessen up the schedule so I can go back overseas. But no, this is definitely a worldwide thing. 
Awesome. That's so great. You know, one of the things I think that's really cool about pigs that I like is, you know, when I was working on horses, we trimmed their feet and that's kind of it. I did have way, way, way back in the day, way back in the beginning of the days, I had a couple old timers ask me if I would float their horse's teeth with my rasp. And I was like, what jumping Jehoshaphat are you talking about? <laughs> like, oh, hell no, I'm not floating your horse's teeth with my rasp, you know. But my area of expertise was very small because I've been riding for a long time and I ride dressage and I I love my horses. We currently have three between my husband and I, and I, I love them to bits, but they had a trainer, right? And they had a vet and some of them had a nutritionist for their horses and you had a barn manager that you could rely on. And, you know, you had all of these other segues for service and with pigs, they really don't have that. So, you know, I like being able to do life changing tusk trims and I really like being able to clean eyes and ears. And I really like to be able to give diet advice so that morbidly obese pigs can get up and start walking again. I really like doing hoof trims where bedridden pigs can get up and literally trot outside after like, there's a lot more that you can, be involved with with the pig side that's really satisfying and fulfilling to be able to help with because some of these people are like I've been dealing with this for two years and I say change this and this and it's you know the problem is solved so it's a lot of fun to do you know kind of more more things for the animal than just that one thing necessarily right and I think that a lot of us that are really into you know our our hoof care world do explore more than just the feet because so much affects the feet so. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's absolutely. Great. I got really mad at a lady. This happened about a year ago and she's a friend. I know her. She's not, you know, like a brand new customer I had never met, but she called me one day and said her pig was really sore after his trim. And I said, well, that's really weird. He shouldn't be sore after his trim. Like what's going on now? This is an indoor pig that lives on carpet full time. He does not go outside except to go potty on the deck. That is it. He's not foraging in the woods. Okay. This guy's very far removed from his feral ancestors. And I said, well, that's really strange. What happened? And she goes, well, the day after you left, we went on vacation and I took him on a four mile walk down the boardwalk. Oh gosh. And I said, why didn't you tell me you guys were getting ready to go on vacation and that you were going to take him on a four mile hike down the boardwalk? Because I trimmed his feet to be walking on carpet, right? I didn't trim him to go on a a four mile hike. I would have left more soul depth. I would have, you know what I mean? Like I would have changed, changed some things I had done. The other one that I've had happen was um, somebody got their pig vaccinated the same day and it ended up triggering a laminitic reaction and Uh, We know that when you trim feet, you get an increase of blood flow. You know, we can see that on thermal imaging. We know that by taking off that excessive growth, it increases blood flow into the capsule. So I think that was just a mix of getting the vaccination at the same time. Kind of, you know what I mean? It just kind of was a perfect storm of something. So yeah, that was, that was kind of an odd one, but it is definitely good to have information ahead of time to know what the situation is going to be for the animal. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, I think honestly, this has been so great. This is so much detail that I think is super helpful. Um, I learned a lot, which is really cool. I always like learning on all my calls. So thank you so much for being willing to chat with me. Oh, absolutely. Super fun. I'm glad everybody can go check out the website or share it with their friends. One thing I would like to add before I end is that pigs don't do well with sedation. So everything we do is sedation free. This is not talking general anesthesia, just sedation. 
a lot of pigs don't metabolize it well and sadly pass away. So everything that we do through the Moore Method group is all sedation-free. It's all in-home sedation-free, restraint-free. We don't lock them in a box with ratchet straps. We don't use weird catch poles. We don't have pruning shears in our toolbox. They're going to be upstanding and reputable and come backed by your name, which is good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. This has been a really great conversation. Oh, my pleasure. And I love your stuff. I share your podcast all the time with uh, horse people I see that want to learn more and actually have like content to learn about something. Oh, that's so, so great. I, I, I appreciate you doing it. Well, thank you so much for sharing it. That means a lot to me. Absolutely. You have a great rest of your day, okay? Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.